Welcome to another chapter of In The Keep Podcast. I'm your very own prophet of the drowned god, the Motherlode. The Keep is a collective of gaming enthusiasts compelled by the drowned god Cathala to frag and jib one another into oblivion for all eternity. I've been hinting at a big announcement for quite a few weeks now, and now is the time to divulge. So I want to preface this saying, if you don't yet believe in the power of the drowned god, may this be an example of how she rewards those who serve her. Drumroll, please. This summer, September 5th and 6th, 3D Realms presents... Realms Deep 2020. Now, what is that? This is an amazing convention. It's an online convention, obviously, so we can all social distance and shit. But I think you'll find that will uh, work in our favor here and is going to be a really good experience for all. So we'll start off. This is going to feature 3D Realms, New Blood Interactive, Slipgate Ironworks, Running With Scissors, Night Dive Studios, Apogee Software, we are going to be showing off a shitload of amazing indie titles. Uh, you guys know what I'm into. You, you'll get it. You're going to see a lot of really cool shit there. We're going to have special appearances. Jahar is going to be hanging out. And yours truly will be hosting the interviews that you will see during this event. I, I will now divulge a few of them just to wet the palate. So we've got interviews already recorded with... John St. John, with uh, Chuck Jones, with Tim Willits, and with Cliff Blazitsky, and trust me, there's more to come. Like, this is just a little little taste of amazing shit. These are going to be uh, featured in the convention. You will see short 15-ish minute conversations between myself, the guests, and Frederick Schreiber, and then after they've been released to the world... At the convention, I will then release them all in full uncut detail on our YouTube channel, all of our podcast channels, and the 3D Realms YouTube channel. So you're in for some really fucking amazing content. If you like what you see at the convention, you are going to fucking go postal when you get this stuff in your feed. So definitely, if you haven't already, be subscribing to that shit. But this is... Uh, Amazing. I'm really looking forward to everything that comes out of this. I can't wait for you guys to see it. We will be raising money for Child's Play. There will be all kinds of game sales, merch giveaways, the whole shebang going on. So now I present you with a call to action, folks. There are lots of conventions out there. We're not the first people to have this idea. We won't be the last. But if you claim to be an honest-to-goodness, true fan of the independent gaming experience. And I'm not saying, you know, like these are legitimate companies, but if you want to get away from the bullshit, from the craziness of over budgeting and delay after delay after delay companies that are run by corporate nonsense and are just trying to create a mill to steal your money and fuck you over and take your time away from you that is not what this is. 
this convention is full of real motherfuckers who really do care about your experience. They really do want you to enjoy your time. They don't want to fuck you over. They want to give you the best experience possible for a nominal fee. We have veterans of the industry who, by the way, will tell you exactly the same thing that I just said. We've got young, hungry game developers fighting for scraps, and they're finally going to get a big showcase that, that they deserve, in my opinion. Believe me, I've handpicked many of them. They're awesome as fuck. You've, you've got a fucking deal here, folks. You really do. We're bringing you the total package in the comfort of your own home, which means you don't have to pay for hotel fees, you don't have to pay for travel, plane tickets, gas, breakdowns like I had on the way to QuakeCon last year. You don't have to do shit other than log into Twitch. And then you can make your decision on whether or not you want to donate to the charity or buy a t-shirt or grab some games on sale or whatever. But either way, this is a no-brainer. This is a no-fucking-brainer, folks. And fans of this podcast know this. Like, you, you guys who are longtime fans, I'm, I'm, I'm certain if you're listening to this show, you're not some two-bit motherfucker who's falling for dumb tricks and getting caught up in the hamster wheel that has become of the modern video game distribution complex. I'm telling you right now, you can quote me, the mother load said it, these are the people that you need to support. And if you're a real motherfucker, be there at this thing and show your support. It costs you nothing but the price of getting an internet connection and logging into Twitch. And if you can't be there on the day at the time, it'll all be on YouTube afterwards for you to enjoy for years to come. I digress. So again, that's Realms Deep 2020 live Saturday, September 5th and Sunday, September 6th on the 3D Realms Twitch channel. Be there. <sighs> okay, we got through that. Sorry for the long-winded discussion, but you guys know I'm passionate about this shit. This week's guest is Mike motherfucking J, Chief Bidet Officer at Running With Scissors. I had one hell of a time hanging out with Mike J. I actually went down to the Running With Scissors office to record this episode, and it was killer. Seriously, I had a great time. He bought us some sandwiches. I brought some coffee. We, I looked through all of their fucking amazing shit that they got in the office. I sat in Vince Desi's desk and ate my sandwich, getting ready for the interview. Uh, just, wow, what a great fucking guy. I, I can't tell you enough, man. I'm so stoked. Sent me away with a bunch of really cool-ass merch that I deeply appreciate. I hooked him up with a t-shirt with our logo on it, so hopefully he shows that off. It was a stellar time and a stellar experience. This is the first time that I've actually gotten to go like sit down in a game developer's office and have like a one-to-one conversation. So with that said, you guys know Mike J. He's not a skinny dude and he talks with his hands. So there's going to be a little bit of microphone noise. I did my best to mitigate that, but it is what it is. It's not going to disturb you. Just uh, don't be a weenie about it. Just kidding. I love you. But yeah, I'm stoked for you to hear this uh, real quick. The music this week is by Zalom. I think that's how it's pronounced. They're an awesome industrial progressive metal band that Mike J recommended himself, so I'm sure you'll enjoy it. We'll play a little clip of that, and then we'll get in the key with Mike J. 
my name is Mike Jarrett Schachter. I am the Chief Bidet Officer at Running With Scissors. We are a independent video game studio based out of Tucson, Arizona. We've been in business since 1997. We are relatively well known for making the Postal Video Game Series. And I've been with Running With Scissors since the end of 2001. I like the idea of... Li- if anyone actually tunes into this and doesn't know who you are, I'd be really surprised. Because like, that is our tar- target demographic is essentially exactly the same people who would play your type of game. So nice. it's been really an interesting journey to get here today because I was not one of these uh, kids who grew up playing Postal. I played Postal 2 for the first time probably like three or four months ago. Welcome. Knowing, uh, having, you know, I've seen Civvy's videos and shit. I knew this was something I was going to have to tackle, and I've actually had it for a long time. Just wasn't like a number one priority. That's okay. And then I played it, and I was like, this is fucking, obviously, this has to be part of the podcast. So I immediately, uh, reached out to Vince, and I've been yeah. trying to get in touch with you fuckers ever <laughs> since. But I understand, yeah, he has shit going on. Yeah, we're all. Back and forth doing various things all the time, but we're here now, so... Yeah, well, what really got you to sit down and say, I want to be a fucking video game maker? Um, Actually, I mean, so I met Vince through his son. I went to high school with his Mm -hmm. son, and uh, my junior year of high school, I was in this computer class, and there was this kid in my computer class who knew jack shit about computers... But he always used to rant that his dad owned a video game development studio. Mm-hmm. And we just didn't believe him. We just laughed. We're like, sure, dude. Whatever, man. You don't know shit about this. And one day I was on my way uh, out, of, out of school. And Vinny, his son, was sitting out front. Hey, man, can you give me a ride to my dad's office? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. The video game office. That's where we're going to go. And uh, so uh, I drove him to the office, and lo and behold, it was a fucking video game studio. And uh, I met his dad. I met Vince. And fast forward to about two and a half years later, my brother, my little brother, was working for Vince's fiance at the time at a UPS store. And Vince and Vinny had walked in, and they saw my brother. And Vinny was like, oh, how's Mike doing? And Vince said, yeah, send him in. I haven't seen him in a while. So I went to the office. We Talked and laughed for about 15 minutes. And then he was like, do you want to work here? And I was like, fuck yeah, I hate selling cell phones. So I uh, I quit my job and I started with Vince. That was uh, it's like around October, November of 2001. And I started shortly after that. And uh, it's been a wild ride ever since. What did he put you at work doing? Uh, I was like a marketing assistant back then. Like they had just started earnestly on Postal 2. And... They were going at it alone, and it was all Dev and Vince. So he was kind of all by himself in the PR department, and um, he just needed somebody to come in and, and help him with all that. You know, he was <clears throat> he'd been doing this since the early '80s, um, but this was their first major title since Postal One. And with Postal One, they had a publisher that was handling a lot of this stuff. So this was kind of a new route for for him and them and. And so they brought me in and I wouldn't say the development team loved me because, you know, Vince is a lot to handle and having one Vince in the studio is one thing. Having two of us is a whole nother thing because basically I'm like a, a, a 30 year younger version of Vince. So. <laughs> so when you, you already had an interest in video games, but like, what I was you, a, I was a big time gamer. But what were you into? 
Um, I played games like Counter Strike all the time. Okay. I mean, I was a, I was one of those kids that kind of failed out of the U of A my freshman year because of Counter Strike. Like everybody in my dorm was playing it all the time, and obviously, I grew up playing other games. I grew up with my Nintendo, and I played a, a lot of GoldenEye for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Um, but more recently, I was I was really playing first person shooter stuff like. Half Life and, and Counter Strike and, and Team Fortress, things like that. Back then, um, obviously, I'm, a, I'm also an athlete, so I played a lot of sports games. I was really into like Ken Griffey Jr. baseball and and NHL games. Mm-hmm. And uh, but Postal, it's funny when I first went to the office, I wouldn't say I was some big fan of Postal. It's not like I had been ultra aware of it. I mean, Vinny would tell us like this is the game my my dad makes, and we're like. Well, that's pretty cool, but I don't believe it's your dad. You know, it was like this hyper-violent game, especially back then. And then once I went to the office and met him and he, like, gave me all this stuff in the game, obviously, then I started playing the game a lot back then. Yeah. So um, I wouldn't say I was a Postal fan before I started at Running With Scissors, but I was aware of it, and then I became a fan. But had you played, like, isometric games like that before? Yeah, but I wasn't – those weren't my style of game. I mean, don't get me wrong. I played arcades that were like twin stick arcades, like Robotron and things like that. But that really wasn't my yeah. style of game. I mean, t- even to this date, like most ISO games are RTS games, and that's really not my style. But ISO shooters, I, I'm more in tune with. So okay, try to picture in my mind is like, what I'm really trying to get at is what inspired you so much that you like even wanted to work at a game studio or was it really just an opportunity and you just seized it? Um, so I was one of those like gamers back then that was, you know, I read the gaming news. I was really into like reading E3 news and shit like that. And uh-huh. the, the idea to me of not working in the mall anymore. <laughs> and I mean, I was, I was, I was selling cell phones. I was delivering pizza I was bouncing at bars, which I actually ended up doing for, like, another 10 years. That was my, like, get out and do something social job, whereas working in game, Like, we had a studio full of people back then, but it's not like I was super close with the dev team. It's not like these are my work friends. Like, they were, but we weren't that close. Um, so I still needed, like, a social job. So I kept bouncing. But I really wanted to get out of what I was doing. I mean, I was very good. I was, I'm a salesman, like. Don't get me wrong. I did really well selling cell phones, but I didn't want to keep doing that. And I really, at that point in my life, had no clue what I was going to be doing because you know I went to the university thinking I was going to be in the bio department and I was going to go into some sort of pseudo-medical field. My dad was a doctor. My mom's an audiologist. And I was like, I'm going to become an optometrist. Well, my first biology class was like a train wreck. Like <laughs> I dropped it within three weeks. and. Yeah. I quickly went undeclared from the bio department and uh, I really, I, I had no idea at that point. And, and, you know, not that all 18 year olds should know what they're going to do in life. Like it's kind of a fucked up thing to make an 18 year old declare their major with what they want to do for the rest of their life. So I was definitely in the path of, I don't know what I want to do. And when I was given an opportunity to do something other than sell, cause I'd been selling, I mean, I was 20 at the time I'd been selling cell phones since I was 16 at Best Buy. I mean, I enjoyed it, but it sure as fuck wasn't a career for me. And I'm not sure I actually viewed coming to work for Vince as a career either. Like, hey, man, I'm going to go get another job. This is going to be cool. I'm going to do something I actually enjoy doing. And like I said, I did well with the other jobs. So when I told my mom I was going to be doing this, she was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, what? And 
the the travel schedule back then I wouldn't say it was demanding but we traveled a lot so my my free time and by free time I mean like time to do schoolwork started dwindling and my desire to have such a heavy load of schedule of classes just got smaller and smaller so after I got booted out of the U of A my freshman year that's when I started at running with scissors like right when I started my first semester at, at Pima here and I would take four classes and then three classes and then two classes. And eventually I just stopped going. I was like, I don't fucking need this. Like, I really don't have time for this now. I'll go back later. That didn't go well with my parents. I mean, both of my parents are, you know, doctorate, uh, you know, college level students. And for me, it was like college was always the next level after high school. And when I went, I just fucked off and wasted a bunch of money. And then all of a sudden I found something I really liked doing, but it didn't require me to get a college degree and I wasn't really into it. Mm -hmm. So I was good with never graduating. My mom was not so good with it. And I want to say I took about four and a half years off of school and I eventually did go back. One day I just decided like, I need to get my fucking degree. I'm like sick of, I'm, I can bullshit and tell anybody why I didn't, but I'd, I'd just like to not have that conversation anymore. <laughs> so I went back to school, got my degree. I've never used it for anything. What was it in? Uh, marketing. Okay. That's a good right. Like once I was doing it, it was like, why don't I go get a business degree in this? Like it wasn't ever a thought when I went to college, like I'm going to get a fucking business degree, mm -hmm. but it ended up being appropriate. So, and my mom was happy. Yeah. Uh, it's really strange, man. I, we, we've got like a weird situation going on. It's really actually bizarre. Cause like the last three podcasts, I think I've spent talking about people's decisions why or why not to go to college mm -hmm. and a lot of game developers are just straight up tell you like don't don't even fucking waste your time well that's a so with game development it's a very touchy subject because look man we've been on boards of various um, universities that have gaming departments and uh, you know digital art departments and stuff and like i'm all for higher education and learning and especially for people that don't know what they're doing. Like if you come in up and you're like, you know what? I really want to be an artist. Well, like you better have a fucking drawing skill. Cause going to college is not going to teach you how to draw. Right. I mean, it will, but you still like, unless you are an artist, you're not going to be an artist. And the problem is most colleges that give game development degrees are degree mills. So they'll accept anybody. And then everybody gets a degree that says they're a game designer but they have this like generalized degree where they took a few art classes, they took a few programming classes, they took a few design classes, they took a few animation classes, and they're not really good at any particular thing. They're, I don't know, $100,000 in debt. They're told that they're going to go out and get a job for 75K, and it's like, well, you're not. Mm -hmm. I mean, most probably won't, but you're especially not going to because you didn't have any particular art skill prior. That said, the casual hobbyist, like a kid that's in high school and he's been working on a mod team for a while and he's kind of honed his skills in on one particular thing. Let's say it's programming. Um, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world for that person to advance their knowledge by taking a specialized degree in programming. Like that is worthwhile to me. Yeah. Um, but if you're really good and you can make it, then fucking who cares? Right. I mean, if you are on some mod, I mean, I, that's what I always tell kids that write me about this. If you want to do something, figure out what you want to do and just start doing it. Yeah. If you can draw, draw stuff, find people that are, that are in the same space as you, whatever game you like and mod that game, work on a crew and just get your resume built up of your own shit. 
and then start applying at studios. Most companies aren't going to prioritize game design degrees over artists that don't have a game design degree. We are looking yeah. at your portfolio first. It's an industry that requires you to be able to execute, not the college degree doesn't yeah. prove that you can actually do anything. It doesn't. Well, there. so this is where it gets a little funky too. Like yeah. a lot of game development, especially ours, is starting to deal with remote studios, especially with what's currently going mm -hmm. on now. We've been doing it for, I don't know, the last time we had a team was in 2009. Um, internal team. There is something about continuing your education that will teach you how to work with other people, how to get things in on time. Like there is priorities that are taught in college that are not necessarily game design dependent things. I mean, even if you got your degree in, I don't know, underwater basket weaving, it doesn't matter. You were accountable for something. When your first job out of high school is you needing to be accountable on deadlines, that can be daunting. It can be very hard, especially in a creative industry where, I mean, I'm sure you know artists like, your art is never done. Yeah. I, it, I don't know an artist who finishes something and they're like, it's fucking great. It's done. It's like, it's always, there's more to be done. I could spend another two weeks on this. And it's like, no, you can't. And, you know, that doesn't mean this is everybody. But there is, there is some order to the universe where, you know, finishing various levels of education does teach you um, – Time management, I guess, is what you really... I think it's just like some people need it, some people don't. Right? You're right. right. Some people are... Like, I'm not a good student. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a terrible student. Um, when I went back to school, I did it online, and that was where I did fine. Not having... I mean, I'm great with people. I love group projects. But when it came to just fucking finishing, I was so happy to not be, like, directly working with people. It was just like, do my work, get it over with, move on. Yeah. What, the way that you guys seem to do business, and correct me if I'm wrong, is like you're at a scale now where like we need to hire a 2D artist and we need to hire a 3D artist, and like so you have people that kind of work within their own department. Mm -hmm. And so my experience, just because of what I do, is working around a lot of like polymaths, and polymaths just in general learn each individual skill they need to do to make like I'm going to make this game by myself, right. Like, yeah. that's what you see at, at studios like New Blood. You know, they hire all these indie guys that were going to make their game by themselves anyway. Yeah, of course. So, they don't have this, like, broad education in game design or anything along those lines, necessarily. They do, however, know particular skills that they've learned specifically because they have to execute that skill. Sure. So, something that uh, David Szymanski had been saying was, like, I don't learn anything until I have to learn it. You know, <laughs> yeah. if it doesn't pertain to what I'm doing, I don't need it. Right. Um, so it's just like two different ways of doing business because like, that's kind of the, the realm I saw you going down was like, yeah, but if you're not good at any one particular skill, why would anyone hire right. you? Right. Like what is the term master of none? Uh, it's a, yeah, it's <laughs> master of none proficient at all or something like that. You know, like a gen, we call them generalists. Mm -hmm. Um, there is a huge desire for generalists to be on even our project, not um, not all over the team. Right. But you want a few guys that can absolutely cross borders because you just need some of your modelers to level design and you need some of your level designers to have at least basic 2D art skills. Like they have to be able to um, cross paths. Yeah. But when this is what, what we've been running into lately is our goal is so much higher than what it's been visually, 
gameplay wise, just anything we've ever done before. And when you start hiring too many generalists or not even generalists, people that just are not amazing at their trade, right. it fucking shows. You know, we've said this relatively recently, you know, you hire somebody that their resume looks good, their their um, portfolio looks good. Five years ago, they would have been the top person on our team. Not anymore. You know, you, right. you get a couple of guys that are just hyper fast and hyper excellent at very specific trades. And when somebody else comes in and they're slower and they are just not as good, it, it really does show. And that it tends to come out in generalists because they, they have so many various half talents. I mean, I'm a generalist when it comes to music. Like I played a bunch of different instruments mm-hmm. and I'm not great at any of them. I'm just passable. Yeah. If somebody comes in, that can fucking rip scales in their guitar. I'm going to look like terrible. You know what I mean? I don't know. Maybe it's just the way I live my life or the way I think about things, but I've never been intimidated by someone like that, that kind of shit. Like, it's not a matter of intimidation though. Yeah. With music, I mean, for the most part, as long as someone is proficient and they're playing with the right people or they're recorded correctly, it's okay. Yeah. yeah. With games, it's not that they need to be intimidated. They don't, but it'll be very obvious on the front end when somebody's work is much more inferior to somebody else's. Or if you have one guy that turns over like, you know, 10 polished maps <laughs> and then one guy who's like been working on his magnum opus for, you know, exactly. Your six and, months de- right. like, delayed. And now that we're, I mean, we're 30 people now. I mean, don't get me wrong. All of my guys are really good, but you can, oh, you can see various patterns in, in some new hires that, you, that we never used to see because a, our games were always so, I mean, we've been working on the same fucking engine for 17 years. Mm-hmm. Things didn't need to look amazing. They just needed to be fun and work. Now, if something doesn't actually look like it belongs in Unreal 4, it sticks out in our game because our game doesn't look like Red Dead Redemption, but it looks significantly better than Postal 2. And when something looks like it should be in Postal 2 and it's in Postal 4, it stands out like a sore thumb. Yeah. So we, we haven't had a lot of bad luck with this really at all. But we've, I mean, it's, it's becoming more apparent that this is a possibility. Hmm. I don't know. I think it was to go back to the, the new blood model. Everyone there is capable of making a whole game, but they've kind of picked up people along, along the way that are really capable of, at certain things. Like something you see in dusk, like, oh man, these fucking spinning guns or whatever. So it makes a lot of sense that you go to Dave Szymanski and say like, Hey, you know, if you're having trouble making a gun, bring him up. Or now Dylan's over there too from from Glenwood. Yeah. Now, so they've acquired like these guys that are basically fucking experts in different parts of game design. So right. they can kind of pull from each other, but they're all capable of working on their own. I guess that's what I was trying to get at. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm not knocking anything they do. I love their products. Yeah. But a very retro style boomer shooter is a very different animal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, trust me when I say this, we are way in over our heads. Okay, <laughs> like there is a reason that small indies do not make open world games. There's a reason. It is fucking stupid. Okay, looking, looking through your catalog, I can't think of a time when run, like when you guys didn't seem like you were yeah not in over your right. Head. We have yet to make a project that is in our like wheelhouse. or under our wheelhouse. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where we're like, yeah, we can just fucking rip out five of these, like. 
Redux seems like a simple concept. It's just a fucking remake of Postal 1, top-down twin stick. Well, guess what? Unreal 4 is not designed to do what we did. If we would have made that a 3D world and the camera was up there, great. Yeah. But we didn't. We had to fucking mimic Postal 1 like idiots. It's. I mean, it might... Look, the game didn't sell, so I can trash it all day long. It is a good game. It has good reviews. People love it. It didn't sell well. Quite frankly, in my mind, I wish we had made Redux a first-person retro shooter. Oh, sorry. I wish we had made it a first-person retro shooter and just rethought the game because clearly it would have predated a lot of this retro shooter stuff and been, you know, in that realm. But it would have been what the engine was intended to be used for. We kind of decided we needed to rewrite the engine and make this, like, you know, 2D art with, you know, cutouts you can walk behind. So it's sort of an isometric, it's fake, it's fake isometric, you know? Yeah. And uh, it was just too big of a project for what we wanted to do. And now we're like, we need to make the follow-up to Postal 2 in Unreal 4. But like, even back then, making an open world shooter for a small team was a stupid idea. Yeah. It worked out and it's still working out, but it's, it's, not just harder now, it is exponentially harder because the amount of art assets you have to make to make things look good like they do now is insane. <laughs> and while our team is significantly bigger than it was for Postal 2 ever, it's still not enough. This is uh, this is hard. <laughs> it's really hard. And that's why we appreciate the support we've gotten and the um, leeway the community has given us yeah. on our jankiness. Although... And I've said this many times. This game's never not going to be janky. It's a postal game. It has to be. You can't make an open world shooter with tons of different actual mechanics with a team like ours yeah. for a budget like ours. It just isn't possible. Yeah, I played a little bit of Postal 4 the other day, and I think it crashed on me like four times. But Well, I, there is currently a bad crash in that build. I was never <laughs> once deterred. And that's one of the first things I told you. I just recently really got into Postal. And one of the things my friend was saying, because, I mean, you still have like little crashes from time to time in that game. Yes. And I was like, oh, man, it crashed. Or my friend was like, you're really lucky that you played this now and not when it came out. Right. Yeah. Yes. Correct. When, when Postal 4 launched, it was in a don't ever show anybody this game state, and we put it up for sale. And... We were really nervous about how it would do. I mean, it was a, that's a, early access is a roll of the dice. Oh, of course. No matter what you're putting out. You can put out something fucking beautiful like Dusk and people could shit on you. You know what I mean? Like it's a, it's a risk. It's like a Kickstarter, except instead of a concept, they're getting your actual product. And if they don't like it, you're fucking dead in the water. Mm-hmm. Um, we did really well out of the gate. And for some reason, we still are hovering around 90% positive review scores, which is like completely on goodwill. Because we still haven't put out Tuesday in eight months, and yeah, the game's less janky, but it's still fucking janky, and that's, like I said, it's going to be like that for a long time. I mean, you were, you were addressing these, there's still crashes in Postal 2, yes. We have some bugs in that game that we cannot fix. Yeah, but, I mean, I think, I think your fans just support you on principle at this point. Like, you, they do. You're we not going to turn out a shit game. No, we're not going to give you garbage, and if we ha- and if there's something seriously wrong with it, we will fix it. Yeah. I mean... There is a crash bug in Postal 2 right now, and mostly in Paradise Lost, that we can't fix because it's 
we have used all this physics in those older games, and the physics engine has a bug in it that mm-hmm. we can't fix because we don't have the source code to the physics engine. And the company that made it went out of business like ten years ago. Yeah. So we are we are currently on the hunt for that source code, and we may have a lead on it. But that's really the reason why those old games haven't even begun to be ported to consoles. Like we would love Postal Two and Paradise Lost to be on Switch or PS4, but there's just it's just too. Uh, uh, it's not polished enough. Consoles require like mm-hmm. finesse. I don't really uh, quite understand what the drawbacks are of getting in over your head like that. Because I guess you have to like find the right amount, right? Like you you don't want to be so in over your head that you can't pull off the project, right? I mean, that's the thing. You you want to aim for the stars, right? You want to yeah gives people the best experience, but you do have to make something that you can finish, I guess. Right. But do you guys like unconsciously maybe put yourself in that position so that you have to perform? Uh, It's definitely possible. I mean, it's always been like this with us. I mean, I wasn't there for postal one's development, but for postal two, I mean, the design document had to be chopped hardcore. I'm guessing that every game, every game gets over designed and then, you know, underperforms compared to the design document except right. maybe like red dead Red Dead. you know gta products by by rockstar that have literal un- un- unlimited budgets i mm. mean they spend 300 400 million dollars to make these games um i i guess i don't i i don't really know I, I i've never worked at another developer i don't know how these things go i i do know everybody seems to delay like delaying is just the norm. standard operating procedure in the video game industry so it's it's pretty obvious to me that everybody has the same sort of issues, but we have a very, I wouldn't call it very strict. I'm not like beating people to not overwork themselves. We like to tell our employees like we, you're full time, you're 40 hours. Yeah. If you want to work more than that, I can't stop you, but please don't run yourself ragged because a, it does nobody any good. Like there's diminishing returns at a certain amount of work. Yeah. B, you will eventually burn out. Like you will not like the project anymore. And we want you to get to the finish line and hopefully you want to work on the next game. So like we try to keep people, I don't want to say underworked. I want to say like the perfect amount of work, mm-hmm. but it, but it's hard. I mean, you know, especially when you can't leave your house and they do love the product. I mean, one of the things we've done for the last 10 years now is mostly higher postal fans or people that came out of the community. And so they're working on one of their favorite games and all they want to do is keep working on their favorite game. And it's like, okay, man, I know you want a better game, but you need to sleep. Got to stop working till four 30 in the morning when you're getting up at nine, like yeah. you gotta, gotta get some rest. We want to keep you on the top of your game. And at the same time, it's like, well, we do have to hit these deadlines. So is it better for you to work longer hours and get it done in a shorter period of time or regular hours and try to get it done by the actual date? You know, and I don't know. It's we've done this remote thing for a while and it's tough. And I, I don't think the industry is going to adjust to it very well, considering teams were already having problems with non-remote studios and people overworking, sleeping under their desks, fucking required crunch. I mean, just, the industry has been a little nuts with that shit for a while. And I actually read a poll in this Facebook group of uh, game industry people. And someone had asked, what do you guys think about working at home? And it was like 
more than 40% were like, I want to go back to the office. Yeah. And I'm like, I get it. Like I work here by myself most of the time. The only reason I have this office is so I'm not working at home, but my whole team's working at home. And like when there was not a pandemic around the world, I would make sure I tell people like, Hey, get out of your house. Like, yeah, get out. Or even still, man, like you don't have to go to a fucking house party and, Get, right, right. Just walk around. Like, like do, so, do stuff. Yeah. Like, I don't know why people got this idea. Like, if you go outside, the radiation of the sun is going to turn me into stone. Well, I mean, the, this industry is m- made up of computer gamers. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, they didn't go outside to begin with, so they're not going. They're not wanting to go outside now. Which that's been a big part of my work experience and dealing with like my team with the podcast, which is not nearly as many people. You know, two, three, four people. Right. Uh, actually, actively working on the show and. Like reminding them because people get excited, especially like I, I'm going to go home and tell like, hey, I just I got the audio from fucking Mike J and they're going to be like freaking out. They're so excited. I have to remind them like, you don't have to work on this like all night. Like, don't be up till 4 a.m. <laughs> right. Like I'm just fucking relax and prioritize your mental health and your fucking sanity and your physical right exactly over that. But, you know. Not to get too crazy on them, but a lot of these guys are like borderline autists, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, sure. They're like, fuck, I just, all I want to do is sit in my desk and code all day. But yeah, I get that. You got to remind people to just take some time to yourself. Right. Like, yes, it is important that we get this asset done or this world done or this build done. But like, yeah. it is more important that you're here in a month and a half working yeah. than you went fucking batshit and decided you had to get off the project because it was destroying your personal life. What I always tell my guys or just anyone in general is that you're worth more to me if you come into work tomorrow yeah. efficient and feeling Longevity good. is yeah. more important than, yeah. than your term. Or so. You're worth more to me healthy for a long time than you are, you know, doing these big sprints and then you're like, oh, fuck, I have to take a month. Oh, like, I can't do this anymore. Like, you right. give up on yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. I think just kind of seeing your personality. You guys have always done a good job of kind of being um, upfront with who you are with your yep. fans and shit. And that's the kind of thing I would expect anyway. Like, you know, uh, some people would look at you guys and say, these guys are a bunch of fucking asshole perverts. And What we know. get more often yeah. than not is people think running with scissors does insane shit just to get a reaction. Yeah. but And like... I guess it's possible that the team was doing that back in the late nineties. But since I've been with the company, like this is who me and Vince are. And we've changed who we are as people, even in the last 20 years. I mean, when I started, I was 20 years old and I was a fucking psycho (laughs) and I said a lot of shit, did a lot of shit on business trips. And I have a reputation that I'm not necessarily that person anymore. Like I still like to do funny shit. I still like to troll people every now and again just for laughs. But for the most part, like, I mean, maybe it was me meeting my wife. I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm older. I'm almost 40. Like, I don't know. Like, I still am Mike J, but I'm definitely a different Mike J. It was really interesting uh, coming into, like, listening to your podcast and then coming in to meet you because the image that's kind of presented is you're this fucking crazy psycho, like, super, like, it. Just having you in the that internal discord that we won't speak of, <laughs> but immediately it's just like, all right, here come the fucking jokes, and and that's great, and we all love that. And then when I walk in here to meet you, you're a really calm, like reserved person. Yeah, you know, you're, you're not like it's not like you're like that all the time. You know when to turn it on. I right? was, yeah. but it, like I said, it wasn't Personal me growth. doing things to watch other people 
right. react. It was me doing things to laugh for right. myself. Like, I do funny shit that I think is funny. And if nobody else thinks it's funny, then that fucking sucks. Kind of, that's kind of been our MO. Like, we make... We make games that we want to play, mm-hmm. and we really hope people want to play them, too. We don't make a feature going, I think the fans will like this. It's like, we like this, and we hope they like it, too. Mm. Like, we, for the most part, I mean, now that we're in early access, part of what we decided to do was we want to do early access so that we can have the fans help us design the game. So we have had things that have changed because of the reaction. And that's just sometimes the nature of the beast, especially when you're in mid development. Like there's only so many of us, we only have so many viewpoints on things. And when you put it out and a hundred thousand people are playing your game, you're going to get a consensus on whether something is really, really shitty. Like, you know, we have sort of rose colored eyes when we make this, cause we're all working on it all the time. And something like, appears funny or looks done to us, but at the end of the day, it's not, you know, it's like, we just wanted to get it done and get it out there. And then the community's like, Oh no, 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 it should do this. And we're like, yes, more viewpoints help. You know what I mean? Like we're not sitting there um, putting every design point up on a forum and letting people vote on it. But when the game comes out, like early on, we, there was a bug in the game where if you pissed, it would break glass. And without anybody consulting anyone, the team fixed that bug. Mm -hmm. We put a patch out and it said, piss no longer breaks glass. And it was like, we got fucking shit on immediately. Like, no, you have to fucking put that back in. That was the best feature. And I'm like, guys, we got to put back in the glass breaking pee. Like, yeah, clearly everybody loved that. I don't know why we took it out in the first place. So then we, you know, made it a special feature. I mean, that's just a small example of like why we kind of wanted to do early access. We, we really did need help with development funding. We really did want people to get something sooner than later because I know people fucking hate waiting long times for projects. And on top of that, they also hate early access games that never come out of early access and are stuck in this like beta form forever. So Quake Champions. Right. So our, it was like our goal was to get this into early access, stay in touch with the, with the fans, let them help us with designing the game, fund the game, and get it out in a reasonable amount of time because right. – the goodwill only lasts so long. And if you don't finish it, you won't get that 1.0 money. Like the game will sell more when it's actually out than it did in early access in all likelihood. So you do got to get to that point. Where I was going with the, the point I was making earlier was that the way that you guys are kind of presented to the public, I think it's to your fans, very clear that this is satire. Yes. Like, like you're you're not doing anything explicitly to offend anyone, as you no. said. Like you're doing things because they're fucking hilarious. Same way, like I said earlier when I walked in here, like there's never been a more appropriate time for you guys to put out exactly what you do than right, right now. The we world need, needs another post. <laughs> we need satire. Yeah, uh, I've been like, God, why couldn't South Park have a season on when this was happening? Because I don't like. I remember during the election year, uh, was like four four years ago or whatever. Like that whole season they had where Garrison was uh, basically Donald Trump and everything was fucking hilarious, um, and it you know it doesn't matter what side of the fence you lean on like if you're politically left or right or whatever like not to get into that stuff but I'm just saying like you everyone enjoys a joke of course yeah well <laughs> less so sometimes less so now you're right yeah like you know we we've definitely had to adapt to that because. You know, we don't – I'm not saying we're bound to any pressure. Nobody's telling us to do one thing or another. Right. But 
we are conscious of the world around us and, you know, some jokes are just beat to death. Like, I get constant questions from fans. When are the terrorists going to be back in the game? And it's like, Uh, probably never. Like, we've beat that joke to death. Like, it's literally beaten to death. The last game had the terrorists as hippies Mm -hmm. and they sold pot. Like, we hit peak terrorism. It's over. Like, move on. What's next? And, you know, I get it. Some people want that shit back. And it's like, well, that's why we'll have Workshop on Steam. And you can put it back in yourself. Like, go for (laughs) it. We don't need that. We want to kind of... The whole point of Postal 4 was to get the best gameplay elements for Postal 2 serviceable and develop from there. So I'm not I'm not not putting terrorists in the game because I'm worried about blowback from the Islamic community. I just you know, the jokes the jokes beaten to death. <laughs> it really is, you know. I, I get it. We still have a dog in the game and it's still the postal dude, but you know, we're going a different route. He's, he's wearing a fucking bathrobe, so Yeah. And he's John St. John now, which is amazing. Yeah, I mean that wasn't intentional from the beginning, but <laughs> Yeah. He is the dude now. What's it like working with him, man? I mean, um, John is amazing. Yeah, he's he's, just, he's done a great job. I mean, I, I never actually met him in person yet. We did everything, you know, remotely. Mm-hmm. Um, there's stuff that we need redone. I mean, you know, we handed him a massive script. When you hand someone a massive script and you're not going to be there to help direct the recording, some things are going to be worse than others. And, you know, it is his first time playing the dude, and we wanted him to go with his natural voice. And a lot of it is really good. And there's a couple things that are just not quite yeah. tonally right. And we'll go back to it eventually when I get him the next major script for, like, Wednesday. So what I'll do is I'll fly to L.A. and I'll actually sit in on the session. and Because uh, his performance is there. It's just there's a couple lines. And they stick out because they tend to be front-facing lines. Yeah. And it, it was jarring. I mean... I won't disagree with the fan base there. Like when we first put his lines in the game, it was really fucking jarring because I mean, for the most part, we've used Rick for the better part of 23 years. And he was there at the beginning of postal four. He there, we accidentally released the game with a bunch of his dialogue in the files, which got the conspiracy crowd going fucking nuts because you know, we didn't overly address the Rick thing, especially at first. We were just like, Rick was busy. Here's John. It's just the way it is. And then people found these files and they're like, but Rick did this. What did, did he decide it was too politically? Insane? You know, there is no grand conspiracy here. Yeah. Rick was available and then he wasn't. That's always the story. Right. It's- and it's, and, and as I tell people, like, he already did this one time. He didn't not do Postal 3 because Postal 3 sucked. Right. He disappeared off the face of the fucking planet for a few years. Mm-hmm. Well, here we are again. So, like, I like Rick's performance, but he has also now ditched two major projects on me. So, I'm not sitting here dying for him to be in the next game, right? Fans are, but they don't, they're not overly involved with it. And quite frankly, the only reason he ever even came back after Postal 3 was because the fans went nuts on him on YouTube. And then he came out of the woodwork and was like, hey, man, I'm sorry. I'm here again. It's like, okay, well, we got this game. We got this other game. And then he did them. If he had never done those, I don't think this would be such an issue anymore. Of course, now the hindsight folks are like, but why not Corey from Postal 3? And Corey's a good friend of mine. And he did a great job. But there was no way I was going to put out a game on Steam, especially like an unannounced Postal product, and have it have the same voice from Postal 3. Even though he did a good job, 
it just there was no way we were going to do it. it was, like we didn't even have much of a team discussion. Nobody was on board with that. Like yeah. we need to get away from that as far as humanly fucking possible. Not to mention we had a vo- we still do have a voice for him in the game to tie it all together. Like we have used him in other ways to tie that Corey Postal dude into the game, and that was it's still in the game. It's just not done yet. And so for us, it was like, well, what do we do next? Like we're going to need to replace Rick. What do we do? And at first, we thought, well, maybe we could find another deep voice radio host and they're a dime a dozen but it was like i don't want to mimic rick yeah i want to give the postal dude a unique voice and one of the guys on our teams was like listen we all love rick's voice we all love Corey's voice but like odds are this character the postal dude type character isn't gonna sound like that like that's just not your typical voice of some trailer park guy like you want to kind of find a guy with a a different type of voice. And John does have a different type of voice. And yeah, some people don't like it, but you know what? For the most part, all the people that, not all the people, a lot of the people that bitched, the more they played, the more they forgot about it. <laughs> and it's, it's like, it, it, it was like that for us long before the game came out. And we always tried telling people that just stop, stop screaming about what you want and just let it go. And eventually you will hear that this is not bad at all. It's just jarring. <laughs> And we get it. It was jarring for all of us. Yeah. But it does grow on you. And there is maybe a little bit too much whininess in his voice, and that is in the takes that he did. But I actually kind of like that because the character is everything is going wrong. That's what around I around the character. So. It felt totally correct because like John, if you ever met John, he's like the kind of guy who has wears Hawaiian t shirts and fucking right. smokes weed all day and shit. And he's old as fuck. <laughs> So, right. Postal Dude should be, at this point in his life, Yeah. Like, well, talking to John Moore yeah. before he recorded, I started realizing, like, talking to him, he is more the Postal Dude than Rick ever was. Yeah. Rick did the character. But, and, and a lot of people don't know this, like, later on, like, Paradise Lost stuff, Redux stuff, like, he was not the same human being he was when he recorded Postal 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. And it did require sometimes multiple takes to get the right performance out of him because, you know, nobody does the same voice exactly the same for 30 years. It just doesn't happen. Right. You might be able to get to it, but like, I know my voice isn't the same as when I was fucking 20 years old. It's just not right. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say that like your voice changes over time anyway. Yeah, exactly. It's hard. It's hard to get the same signature every time. It's hard to get the same character out there every time. And when there's real time lapsing, physiologically like your body's just completely different and you're mentally like i mean i'm not an actor by trade yeah but like you know the things that you draw to do a performance when you're 20 25 years old are very different from what you do to draw a performance when you're 45 years old you know you've lived you've done things like you may not be as cynical you may be more cynical like you don't really know so yeah well you're you're into like heavy music and shit i think about uh a lot of singer we'll call them singers but you know People who do guttural <laughs> vocals have yeah. a wide range of tools that they go to. It's not like they don't do the same voice on every track. Randy Bly kind of does, but even right. he's starting to get into like the, you know, he's got that kind of mellowed out singing voice. Like I just want to know how the fuck these people scream for fucking twenty years into a microphone. Yeah, but it's a thing. Like you can do that, and then they'll do damage to their voice and have to change it. You know, yeah. they're like, oh well, I used to do that on the first. Like, oh, best example ever is uh, Phil Anselmo, right from yeah. Pantera. So he literally fucked his voice up on Cowboys from Hell and he can never sing that again. So he changed his voice and right. it's still Phil. So Yep. Yeah. 
This is a fucking no-brainer. John St. John... Anybody who's not down with John St. John can fuck right off. Well, and that's the thing. For the most part, the people that shit on it are not shitting on John. They're not necessarily shitting on his performance. They just want Rick. And I I mean, look, as a fan of things, I do understand the desire for that. Like, when I'm watching a show that I like, and at some point in the show, the actor changes in, in a season because something happened... I mean, it's it is jarring. Yeah, but there's what it, it it's what it is. It, it sucks more when it's your main character. I get it. I do understand. Like people have fucking grown up with this. This is their shit. And all of a sudden, we're like, here's another new postal dude for the third time. I I do get it. But you know, the internet gave everybody a voice, and most people use it to bitch. So I, I guess I understand where they're coming from. I just. A lot of them, once they speak to us, they're a little bit more calm about it. Like when I was first streaming Postal 4, I was streaming it constantly. <laughs> the YouTube comments were just like, where's where's Rick? Where's Rick? Where's Rick? So I started having to like blast on the video feed to stop asking about Rick. <laughs> and that didn't stop it. Nothing stops it. And it's gonna. it's not ever going to stop because we're not at 1.0 yet so the people that have wishlisted the game that are waiting for the game to be done haven't heard it yet unless they've watched videos and like it's just going to keep coming and that's okay yeah. like we're totally okay with this like at this point John's the dude and there are maybe other products in development where other people are the dude like we're just we're the dude is uh what's the word um fluid yeah <laughs> Not f- genderly fluid, but he's a fluid what, character. What, what the postal dude is whoever we want him to be. What was that fucking Russian expansion pack they had? That the was, he corkscrew rule. Got his cock cut off. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it, man. I know. I know. The Russians really did a number on postal, didn't they? But in all in all reality, the Russian community is one of the largest postal communities. So despite the fact that Russian companies fucking the, com- the game up with Postal 3 and corkscrew rules... They have supported the game through its development. So we thank the country for all of its fans. But Jesus Christ, couldn't we have a fucking good Russian gaming postal product for once? Yeah, but the fact is that even through everything, the brand has endured and the fans have... Oh, yeah. No, we're herpes, man. (laughs) (laughs) We will never go away. Like, we've been in ultra-skeleton mode multiple times yeah and that and i'm one of the few people that survived every single skeleton mode like if we have to go get other jobs and do other things for a, for a little while while we while we regroup it happens i mean i have a feeling we might be done with that because yeah. now we have mass distribution we have a good fan base on steam we we're we're out there and we've got a lot going on like it would take a lot at this point for us to die again i mean I'm not overly happy with where the world is at right now. I don't love that people are getting sick and people are dying, but but <laughs> people being home all the time is causing them to buy more games. Yeah. So the game industry is doing well. I can't say that the mass game industry as a as a whole, like the development industry, is doing great because there's big developers that have no idea how to have a remote yeah. setup that are now virtual completely. And I hope they figure it out, but this has worked out pretty well for us, as fucked up as that sounds. I mean, it is not good to bank on tragedy. Like, I don't like to hear about the people that shorted the market yeah. after 9-11. People, they, that's horrible, right? People are asking me, like, how are you doing? I'm like, there has never, 
ever been a better time to be an independent con- uh, content creator than right now. Right. Like, I could do so. A lot of podcasters even switched to, they, they would not do um, anything remote ever. You know, they like, have to have my guests in person. Or, you know, they're having to do it now. The technology's there. Right. It's not as good as sitting in the same no. room with someone, but the amount of shit you can turn out really quickly and people are all like I, it was reasonably assumed that hey are you available yes i don't know how to work so you can just talk to people all fucking day long yep. it's, it's a great time it has also forced the technology to be better which is yeah. nice like i've been doing a virtual podcast for years yeah um it is now much easier to do them than it used to be um but that said i mean you are right i do like this in-person dynamic like i used to be i used to do a tech talk in tucson at klpx Mm -hmm. i did it for a decade and i only went in once every couple months to do tech talk but i really did enjoy being in the same room even though we weren't like actually vibing like there is something to be said for that but it isn't a problem to be doing this stuff online at Mm -hmm. all and you know it it makes it much easier to work with because you don't have to arrange times like yeah. like you you want to do it tomorrow morning at 8 great get up put a shirt on and we're good you know what i mean like that's it um it also has worked a lot for me for for voice recording i mean historically i had to schedule time in a studio then i sort of have my own now and i can have people come in here and record mm-hmm. but a lot of the people that that are applying to me to do voice acting they have their own setups at home now. And I'm just like, sure, sign this NDA. Here, sign this ICA. Here's your here's your script. And then they send me back good recorded files that we just incorporate right into the game. You know, it's like. Yeah. It makes so much sense. Yeah. It's fuck. This has been nothing but good opportunities for me. And I hate that. I hate that people are suffering, obviously. Yes. But. My own wife has been furloughed for four months. It might not mind to you. But it's fucked up. <laughs> There's nothing I can do about it. It's fucked up. Um. I can't remember. It was like probably Warren Buffett or someone said like you capitalize when other people are scared to and that's how you make profit. Right. And I mean, we didn't plan to make money off of, off of, you're off not. of this situation. It just ha- so happens that the, this is a good time for it. The other way to look at it is that you are providing a much needed service. In a yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of always been our thing. Like we're, we are the this generation's pet rock. Like everybody needs this, especially when they're not feeling well or when they're stuck in their house or when they need to fucking shoot something and they got this video game they can do it in. Thank God. Yeah, and socialize and laugh. Like that's just whip your dick out and piss all over someone. Right. I mean, we didn't know that this was how you stop school shootings, right? Have kids stay home. <laughs> Turns out it's the answer. Man, there's really really good that you have like the personality that you have because if you didn't this none of this shit would work right yeah (laughs) (laughs) i know i know um that's why it was so it was so odd when i went in because like i said i had met vince before when i was in high school and yeah i was a jerky kid and he probably laughed at the things i said but when i actually went in as an adult and we talked and it was like very obvious that we were very similar personalities Mm -hmm. and i don't think he was actually looking to hire anybody we just laughed and he was like do you want to fucking work here yeah. I was like, yes. But like, if you didn't have this artistic freedom to just express yourself through that medium, you might be a different fucked up person. You know? Right. And, yeah. and I've said that multiple times. I've actually talked at nauseam about this lately. I truly don't know what I would be doing with my life right now. Yeah. If I hadn't been doing it. Like, yeah, I could leave this and probably make a lot more money doing other things. 
but I would never give up my freedom. Like I couldn't do it. I'd rather go months at a time without a paycheck sometimes when I have to, to keep my freedom and keep my artistic expression going and not have to wear a suit every day, not have to shave my face and cut my hair. You know, like this is, I don't know. I enjoy it. When you think about that sort of thing, like you're compromising your freedom or whatever to, you know, I can't even imagine you working in like a fucking office with fluorescent. Well, not that this is, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? But like I cubicles do. and I do. you're not allowed to, you know, say X, Y, and Z. Cause yeah. I mean, I have my own struggles with that shit too. Like I, it's almost like a natural reaction to act out as soon as I know what the parameters are. Of like, course. Like you, you, here's the line. Don't cross it. Like I'm fucking kicking that kick line. It, right. Yeah. yeah like, ah. and I, and I've actually had to watch it like for the longest time. It was me just doing this and I loved it. And I have to deal with corporate America, but I'm married now and my wife is a corporate America person. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, she works at Top Golf. She's in sales there. So, like, it's not like she works for the most, like, adult company on earth. Like, oh, they don't drug test. She can have multicolored hair. Like, she doesn't have to wear pantsuits all the time. But before that, she worked in hotels. She was in hospitality. So, she was constantly working at big hotel chains which with very corporate policies. Mm-hmm. And, like, I never had to deal with this before in my life. So, having this sort of secondhand deal with it is very weird for me. It's and, yin and yang, dude. Right. But it drives me fucking nuts. Like, I'm like, oh, cool. We get good health care. Like, that's nice. <laughs> but you have to do this and this. And I'm like watching her, how she has to deal with people around her and how she has to deal with issues. And I'm like, fuck, I am so thankful that I don't have to do that all the time. Yeah. I mean, I treat my employees well. They treat me well. But I'm glad I don't have to work with a bunch of unknowns in a fucking office. That's for sure. Yeah. I don't know. Just... Always having to be aware of like, what if I, what I say is offensive to someone else? And that it, so you end up in this kind of weird situation where instead of just addressing it face to face, like you're, when you have an authority figure over that, people tend to refer to the authority figure to solve all of the problems instead right. of solving it themselves. Um, so then you end up in a situation where like, it doesn't matter what you said. This person, you know, they, they went to someone else without even telling you that what you did was wrong. And then that person gets a secondhand story and will never actually fully understand the situation. Oh. Like the two people in the room. I had the, (laughs) my last real job, one of my last real jobs before I started this was when I was at Best Buy. That was a few years before. So I was 16, 17 years old. I ended up in the, in the manager's office a couple of times for anonymous complaints. And like the things that they would tell me were like, what? (laughs) I mean, I had, I had a case at the last cell phone job I was at at the mall. I was going to fire this employee of mine. She was a horrible, horrible salesman, late all the time. She was a fun person. Like, we had a good time. She was one of the guys. Like, she was constantly hitting on people at the mall, making sexual comments. Uh, I was going to fire her. I talked to the bosses. Okay, good. Fire her on this day. Okay. I come into the mall, and I see her sitting there talking to my boss on the couch. And then they come over, and they're like, so she's uh, filing sexual harassment on you. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. Somehow she got wind that she was going to get fired. Yeah. And she decided to play the only card she had, which was to complain about things that she had been doing and saying it was me. And so then I had to sit there through this investigation being like, yeah, I mean, there is no chance I don't make sexual comments around her. Okay. None. But she makes more than all of us. Yeah. All the time. And they're like, we know, but uh, we're a company. We have to deal with this, you know, the legal way. And uh, they moved her to the main store and then they shut down my store and I couldn't go to the main store because she was there. Yeah. 
but they legally had to keep her on for a certain amount of time. And so I waited it out and I eventually replaced her there. And then I very quickly quit and started running with scissors. But that was like my lead in to not having to deal with that anymore. It's good that you came into running with scissors with a fucking, you know, at least some understanding of how to deal with legal issues. Yeah, that was fun. It was great. So when you're getting ready to do a podcast, do you like, cause you've had different episodes where it's just like, we're hanging out, you know, you and Eric or you and Eric and your wife was really good. Yeah. Or when you're doing one with you, cause it all seems to be kind of people that you actually already have relation, uh, relationships with. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what inspired you to get into doing that? Um, I think back because we were doing them back in like 2016 a lot. And I think it was just a, a it was kind of a good way for me to interact with my team members. Like back then I used to do them with a guy named Rich and a guy named Kurt Mm -hmm. that worked with us. So it was a good way for me to sit and bullshit. Plus like I am front facing in this company. Like I am one of the main contacts that anybody talks to if they want to get in touch with the company. And so I thought that was a good way for me to like be constantly talking to the community and actually be talking to them because we do our podcast live. Yeah. Which, for better or for worse, is what we do. It lets any... I mean, we have an average of between... It depends on when we do them. 50 and 200 people that watch live. And then a few thousand people watch it later on. Which is cool. But it allows direct interaction. Yeah. Um, it allows me to say my piece sometimes. Where it comes off better out of my mouth than it does out of my fingers. You know? Like, I can yell and scream on our Discord all day long. But I like to talk. And... Uh, I don't know. I, I We just didn't do a lot of direct interaction stuff for a long time, and it just felt like the right thing to do. Now, the problem is, is that while I could put this all together every time, like producing a podcast, even bi-monthly, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. Like mm-hmm. putting topics together that are cohesive, making sure you have somebody to talk to about things. It's hard. Like even now, like, I do podcasts with Eric. Me and Eric have a great rapport. We've known each other for 25 years, but he's not as into the industry and I'm not that into the industry. Like recently I've had some of my employees on the podcast and that's good because they are fucking gamers. So they have a lot to say about what's going on. Whereas I have some, but I'm not playing all the different games all the time. Right. And so it's, it's, it's a, it's a tough mix where I have to be able to appeal to my crowd but I also have to be able to have interesting things to talk about and, and, you know, keeping these things produced is tough. So I've been, I've been sort of, um, mixing up work between other people in my, in my company now, getting somebody else to give us topics to research. And it's just better for me to talk about things that I didn't look up. Give me something that's, that's hot. I'll look it up, do my own research, and then I'll have something to say about it. Yeah. I don't know, man. I hate talking points. Like, I don't know if you can tell, but I did not walk in here with a list of questions. No, 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 like, for sure. I, I enjoy the art of con- like conversation. I like listening to podcasts that are just conversational because I don't know. It feels just more organic. So for me, that's the, the easiest part is just I can sit down and talk to someone forever right. until the end of time. Um, and I'm, I don't know. I think I said something earlier. Like, do you get in over your head so that you have to perform? I feel like, for me at least, I know other people struggle with this, but I, I kind of have like public speaking as part of my repertoire anyway, so it doesn't bother me. But putting yourself in that position where you have no choice but to perform right now gives you no no crutch to lean on. Right. And, and it works out 99% of the time. 
And yeah. You, some people are afraid of an awkward silence or a pause, too. Right. Of so, course. I mean, um, when I'm doing it live, I, it doesn't phase me whatsoever. Right. But it does force me to make sure I'm flowing. Yeah. And trying to fill out an hour. Yeah, so I, you said, do you have to have coffee? Like, yes, I do have to have coffee. <laughs> oh, I just didn't know if you'd already had some or if you were just offering on the way in. No. Like, yes, no, no, I drink a lot of coffee anyway as yeah. well. Um, but with the podcast, like, I have hosted with a lot of people historically that just didn't have a lot to say. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. And I'm not forcing anybody to do it. And it was, it would end up just be, being like me bullying them on the podcast for 45 minutes. <laughs> But now I've been doing it with people that actually do have a lot to say. And it's nice because while I do love to talk, I also like to listen. So mm-hmm. it's nice for me to hear, especially from people that I'm close with and that I work with, talk about things that I'm not necessarily so well-versed with all the time. Like I do like to hear yeah. other stuff back. And it is, it's it's just good all around for our community to see more people from our team because I am the front-facing person on the team. I'm not a developer. Right. I do do our audio recording. I do some of the voice work. I do some of the design work, but I am not a programmer. I am not an artist. And, you know, I get that question a lot. Like, hey, man, what do you do on the game? And I'm like, well, (laughs) I own part of the company and I do all the marketing and the PR and the licensing. And I run the digital store. I manage the website. I manage the community. I run the social media, I do the podcast, and, I, like, I can list out a million things I do, but, like, no, I don't make the art. And sometimes people will be like, oh, but it's like, I do a fuckload of things, man. <laughs> I'm not saying the company would not run without me, because it sure would. Right. But without me, it would be just like if we were missing our dev director. Like, you know, like, a yeah, lot of things just wouldn't happen right. But I'm sure would- someone could eventually fill my role, I'm not... Voltron without a head. Uh, right, we, exactly. We, need like, to have- we are a fluid moving piece of very important parts. Mm-hmm. And like I said, we've operated with just me and Vince before many a time, but we weren't creating a lot of new content back then. We were just maintaining. So in the games, you have all these really different set pieces. Uh, at one point, you go to a, a military base and there's like A-10s and shit. Did you go out? Like, because you're in Tucson, obviously you've seen an A-10 before. Did, were you guys like mapping the shit out? For levels, yeah. Doing I mean, the more recently, people do it on Google Maps. Uh-huh. But historically, Postal One and Postal Two, the team would take days. I mean, for Postal Two, it was we need to sort of mimic Bisbee yeah. for Paradise. So they all went down to Bisbee for a couple of days, took pictures of areas that they wanted to, to to do. For Postal One, it was yeah, let's go take some pictures of the military base, see what see what kind of things we can put on here. Mm-hmm. You know, the internet nowadays, it makes it a lot easier to do things without having to go anywhere. <laughs> like, it is nice, since my team's not in Arizona, and our game is Arizona-based, it is nice that they can mm. actually drive around any city in Arizona on Google Maps and see everything. I mean, it's not quite the same as feeling it, but, you know, when you're really just trying to mimic something art-wise, you know, a good drive-through on, on Google is... is yeah. I feel like to, enough. Really under, like, to really appreciate the game, you kind of have to visit here at least. Like, It would be nice, but <laughs> our team is so spread out. Yeah, yeah. We've got like 12, maybe 13 people in the United States. We've got two in Canada. We've got one in Mexico, one in Ecuador, one in Argentina, three in Japan, three in Russia, two in the UK. 
when Portugal, Spain, Italy, Germany, <laughs> I mean, we're really, actually, we have someone in Australia now. We have a programmer in Australia and we have two, one in the Philippines and one in somewhere right there. So we are, we literally cover just about the whole globe time zone wise, which is cool, meaning there's somebody working any time of the day if you're awake, but it is hard to get meetings together sometimes, mm -hmm. like trying to get a meeting for all of our guys that are in this fucked up time zone, which is like Australia, Japan, Philippines. Like sometimes they do make our like 11 a.m. meetings, but it's four in the morning for them. <laughs> they're fucking dedicated if they're up get to come to a meeting once a week at 4 a.m. Yeah, we deal with the same shit with like esports tournaments or even sometimes just getting the whole team together for the podcast because like, we're all remote, obviously. Right. Yeah. Time management is definitely, I mean, that's your wheelhouse, I guess, but right. it's definitely right. something you have to deal with, man. But I don't know. I, I feel like uh, when you're all as passionate about it as you are, it'll, you'll make it happen. So, yes. But the point I was getting at earlier about, I wasn't talking about the team as a visit to Tucson. I mean, like when I played Postal, I was like, oh, fuck, this is like right outside. Like I didn't even know it was in Arizona when I was like, okay, I'll play it. And when I did, it was just like, I've literally been to like all these places. Like right. this yeah. just looks like outside for me. And I, that was the way that I initially played it. So I'm trying to imagine how it comes across to someone who's not from here. Like, cause this is a very weird, unique place. Well, and that's kind of the, like, I, I venture to guess at some point here in one of the next games, the dude will leave Arizona. I can't say, but the reason we keep doing it is that it's different. Postal we, X in space. Right, exactly. Like, It'll be a fucking, you know, crazy alien <laughs> Postal shooter. goes to hell. Um, but, like, our the, the one guy that's out, uh, actually in Tucson is our art director. Mm -hmm. And he's been – he's with us now for about six months. But he he worked on Postal 2. He was with us back in the day. Uh, but he lives here. And, you know, it helps when your art director is local to make it look a little more like it of is course. local. When you play Postal 3, you're like, this is not fucking Arizona. <laughs> like – this is clearly made by someone who's not in the USA and never has been, right? Like, yeah. those are European streetlights. Those are European power boxes. Those are European water pipes outside of the walls. Like, so it, it is good to have some T-Lokes working on the game. So, hmm. I mean, without getting too far into the weeds, like, what are your plans for the future? Other than post, I mean, we can um, talk about Postal 4 too. Right. But. So, obviously, we got to finish Postal 4. <laughs> That's, that is the, uh, thousand pound grill on our shoulders right now mm -hmm. we have a couple other things in development one was a vr project that we were working on before postal 4 that is vapor right it's not vapor i don't want to call it vapor it is just on the shelf mm -hmm. we spent too much money working on it and there's only so much money you can make on vr so we kind of put it aside until vr becomes a little more prevalent mm -hmm. it is now more prevalent because of Valve and Half-Life Alex, mm. So at some point, we're going to finish that product. And we actually have retconned it into the Postal Universe. The characters that star in that game are the radio hosts in Postal 4. So at some point, people will see what that is. I can't tell them what it's called yet. But at some point here, they will find out. Um, and then we've got uh, a couple other big things happening with, with the Postal brand that I also really can't talk about yet. But you'll find out soon enough. Um, you know... Maybe some ports, spinoffs. And, and the point of this like question that. is not to get you to divulge anything. It's just no, like, no, no. Like, there is a future. There's more than just the Yes. I mean, yeah. historically, we've always been really big on licensing. We just haven't done anything 
particularly big licensing wise. I mean, Postal 3 was a big license. It was meant to be the next big product that we licensed to a Russian publisher to make. And then they ended up completely fucking shitting the bed. Mm. We're not going to do that ever again for a, a main title, but we are not against licensing the rights to make spinoff stuff. I mean, we've done it. We've had Postal Babes Mobile. We've had a couple. Yeah, there was a game called Postal Mobile. I mean, we've had various little tiny licenses, but we need something big. And we, I think we finally do have that right, yeah. happening right now. So at some point here, people will find out what it is. <laughs> Maybe in the next couple of months. In the, uh, in the marketing wheelhouse, because like, you're kind of marketing a big game in, mm-hmm. in a new era. What is it like uh, trying to get the word out there? Like, I, I really enjoyed the, the Civi playthrough. Like, that mm-hmm. was super fucking cool. And I think that's at least in my experience, that's where most of us are kind of like getting our news. Like we're, I don't know how you even fucking find out about games except for that. Right. Well, it's funny to me because I'm not a big enough gamer still. I mean, I play a lot of games now. Right. Since quarantine pretty much. But the last, let's say five, six years when influencers have become the thing, right? right? I was not familiar with what they were. When we came out with postal two on steam in 2012, I wasn't sure what we were going to do, and we didn't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. I've never paid an influencer to use play my game. I know a few of them because they've contacted me because they play my game, but I've never really done any real outreach other than giving out some keys to a couple of influencers. Like for Postal Two, we have like seven videos by PewDiePie on YouTube. I don't know the guy. I've never talked to him. I've never given him a key. He just decided he loved our shit. And we had, I mean, for Paradise Lost, he made five videos. He made a video for each day of the week. That's fucking priceless PR now. Like, yeah. I mean, you could buy that, but I don't even want to know what that would cost. Well, it's like a mutually beneficial thing. Like he's using you for content. Right, right, right. Getting. But these guys do get paid. Oh, yeah. And not just by ads. I hope you get paid one day. Like, obviously, like, why would. Some people get weird about like, oh, you shouldn't do it for money. You should only do it for passion. Like, you should do what you're passionate about for money. Mm-hmm. Like, you got to get paid. Yeah, of course. But that's, I mean, with, with, with podcasting, like, I mean, I have thought about it, but I don't think I have a big enough viewership. Like, I would love to have some fucking ads in my podcast and they were paying me money to Tushy read them. should be sponsoring the, I've podcast. thought about saying that to them. The problem is like, my, I, I haven't done a whole lot to, to expand our podcast listener base other than recently I got it on pod.co, so at least it's available. Yeah. What are you using to distribute it? Uh, pod.co. Okay. It's podcast.co. It's just a it's a website that somebody gave me a, a key to, like a, a lifetime license. And okay. Um, just upload each issue. Each, they, they First, they got us on all the different streaming services. I'll, we're off the air. I'll point out some that it's not on. Okay. Yeah, so we can square that shit away. Because that's what I... My big thing is I want mine to be available in every avenue that I could possibly get it on. Mm-hmm. Whatever the case, like, you know, more more is a good one. Sure. Uh, and mine's not even as big as yours is at this point. It will be hopefully one day. It will. And what's interesting is a lot of people who do podcasts, like one of my good friends, like Ted from DreadX. I'm not sure if you're familiar. I do know the name. Uh, DreadXP is like a horror. They're Dread Central's like gaming. Yeah, yeah, sure. And he has a podcast, but that was like the first thing I noticed is I think he was using SoundCloud Mm -hmm. and like distributing it is shit through SoundCloud. Like you get on iTunes is the most important one. Everybody knows that, but there's just some 
feeds it doesn't go to. And then there's nothing more annoying or a fan of podcasts, which I'm a huge fan of, obviously, uh, than to scroll through my app that I'm already like married to and not be able of course, to find what I want right. to listen to. That was yeah. part of why I eventually started using this. Like years ago, when I first started the podcast, I did set up my own way mm. to get like you can make a you know a website and have a lister and then you can submit it to Apple to put in podcast mm. and it got rejected. <laughs> so for years I've been like, well, Apple's never going to approve it. And so I eventually I, I started using pod.co and they they got it on Spotify and yeah. Breaker and Google Cast and Apple and they just did it all they did all the work. I don't know. It's there. So <laughs> Hopefully people listen. Buzzsprout, I use Buzzsprout and they're great too. Like nice. very easy interface and most important to me is great customer service. Like I can right. email them and get a response really quickly. I'd say our biggest base is probably our own YouTube viewership. I mean, you know, it's not like we have we have like thirty thousand YouTube followers and you know, they they watch whatever. You have an established brand. Right. Right. Thank you so much, man. This has been fucking awesome. Yeah, for and thank sure. you for the Sando too. That yeah. was wicked badass. It was good. That was a from a place called Fourth Avenue Deli in Tucson, which closed in December, like officially closed. A buddy of mine from high school owned it, and he was like, "I'm done doing this." And I guess one of his employees bought it and has been. I thought it was closed, and today I saw her posting on Facebook, and I was like, "Oh, they're still open." I fucking love this place. Yeah, me and my wife were downtown the other day wearing masks, <laughs> and uh, as we were walking by there, my wife was like, "Yeah, they closed down." And when you said they, you were getting sandwiches from there. I was like. I, whatever. <laughs> I, they I, did, and I now they're open me. again, so. Ah, it's fucking solid. Lindy's is the best place to I do like Lindy's. Few thank yous, plugs, and announcements before we get out of here, folks. First of all, thank you, of course, to Mike J for being fucking awesome and letting us come down to the studio record this episode. Thank you to. Zalom for providing this incredible music recommended by Mike J himself. If you like it, go over to his Bandcamp page. I'll have a link for you in the episode notes. Check them out. Also, just want to say thank you to all of our amazing supporters. You know who you are, but I'll go through the names real quick. Dots, Moose, Paul, Zach, Alexander, Lashaka, Brad, Night Owl, Tones, Jeffrey, Larissa, Nave, Steve, NVZ, Catman, Semiko, Chibi Sniper, Donkey, VJ Tension, Harukant, Brandflakes, Maleki Torao, Red Eyes Green Dragon, Anthony, Robert, Vince, Amorpher, Igrax, Simon, Gelmo, San, and Russell. You have all been absolutely fantastic and given a little bit back to the show. We appreciate every bit of it. If you're listening to this and you're like, yo, how do I get mentioned on that list? Well, there's a lot of different ways. You probably know I'm going over to the support tab on our website, in thekeep.com. You can find directories to all of our different avenues. We recently added a Venmo page and also we now have an Instagram page so go follow us over there it's ran by the amazing Brand Flakes who will be giving you all kinds of cool updates uh, about what we're doing here you can get the new podcasts whatever the fuck it's another way to follow us we also want to let you know that we do still in fact have merchandise on the merch tab that's true you can get a free t-shirt by uh, becoming a Patreon supporter so I guess it's not really free but it's free enough motherfucker you get to support and uh, we'll give you a little bit back whenever you've reached the $25-ish donation amount, however long that takes you, no matter. Or you can just buy one outright on the merch tab. We also have masks over there. we got MDF t-shirts. We've got stickers, whatever you need. Grab it on our Redbubble store. Greatly appreciated. With all that said, guys, I, uh, I'm not going to keep rambling forever, I promise. I love you. The Drowned God, Cathala, loves you. 
She accepts your offerings. She wants you to be happy and be safe out in the world. Please take care of yourselves. Please support your indies. Spread the love around. And until next time, stay in the keep.